Good morning, family. It is good to see you this morning. We had a great time away. Thank you so much for your prayers. Um, it's great to go away. It's also great to come back home uh, to family. We are going to be starting a new series this morning uh, called All Up In Your Feelings. So, if you have to go to the Urban Dictionary for that, what that kind of means is being uh, in a heightened emotional state, or uh, even some use it in a way where they're saying that um, they're trying to work out what's going on inside. One of the things that we are well acquainted with is uh, as the human condition, uh, we share uh, the same things. We have emotions, we have feelings, and we have to deal with those things as a part of life. And, and some of that um, is genetic. You're just kind of born with a certain disposition. Some of that is you um, being in certain circumstances that can bring about those things. And, and other parts of that is uh, the way we think um, and, and what we do um, with those thoughts. So uh, that part of it, we certainly have um, some kind of control over. And, and just in the song that we just said, um, if you're in a prison um, in your mind, um, God can free you. Uh, we even know the story behind what was spoken there uh, with them being in prison and choosing to rejoice and sing and praise the Lord. There's, uh, that was a choice that they made, but it was built on the confidence that they had in the Lord that whatever happened, it was going to be Fine, And it seemed to be the theme of a lot of what we sang um, this morning. It is so prevalent that feelings are a part of our everyday life. Um, one of the things that we often do when we greet someone is say, how are you feeling? Right? And, and feelings are um, one of those things that sometimes we use synonymously with emotion, but they are somewhat different, right? Um, feelings uh, is something that uh, emotions can affect, but feeling uh, is something different as well. So uh, to be hungry is a feeling, right? To be angry um, is an emotion, and it can tie into feeling, and then you put those together and you're hangry, right? So sometimes we find ourselves um, in that situation um, as well. Uh, but just to uh, think about it for a minute, feeling is uh, both emotional experiences and physical sensations is basically what I just kind of laid out. And, and emotions, um, they... Uh, I, I was reading an article and it was saying it may be used to think of, it may be useful to think of emotions in this way, that they flow um, as they flow the experiences of feelings. For example, joy and sadness and anger and fear. Um, and emotions could be triggered from external things, right? Something happens to a friend and you feel um, sad, or if you're watching a movie, it could bring about certain 
um, emotions, but it's something that is internal um, and as well, because it can be also triggered not from external things, but internal things, a, a memory, right, that we've had in the past. Um, so we all have emotions, and each one of us responds to different things in different ways, right? But then we also have thoughts, and thoughts affect our emotions in the way that we feel, and, and thoughts are ideas, opinions, beliefs, not only about ourselves, but about everything, about the world around us, and it paints our viewpoint. And then along with thoughts, we have thoughts that are continually reoccurring, and thoughts can turn into attitudes, um, which develop as we think of something time and time again, and those things are reinforced. And those things shape our lives. It shapes the way that we think, and they're guided by our um, experiences often. Um, sometimes, like I said, genetics, and, and other times, and even our education, all of these things are there, um, but uh, some of these things are conscious, and some of these things are unconscious, right? With emotions, it could be either one. With feelings, they're pretty much conscious. But the Bible tells us uh, that our thoughts can affect these things. It says in the Bible, take captive every thought, right? It tells us in the Bible uh, to uh, be transformed by the renewal of our mind. Um, what we think certainly impacts what we feel. So as we go through this series, All Up In Your Feelings, um, we're going to uh, consider quite a few things that we uh, need to look at in terms of our feelings and our emotions and how to navigate uh, in those things and in our thought life. Um, we can change our thoughts and our emotions. Sometimes we tend to think, hey, this is just the way I am. It's a part of me and it's not going away. Um, but um, altering external situations at times can have an effect on those things. Shifting our attention, right? We can dwell on something in a positive way or in a negative way, and it certainly would affect uh, our situation. And then we can appraise kind of our situation. Often uh, we can get down in a situation but if we think it through and start laying it out, we can appraise, hey, am I thinking about this rightly or wrongly? And these things are important because how we choose to, to live our life have a tremendous power over how we feel every day. We wake up in the morning and we're putting our feet on the ground. Uh, my habit, as soon as I wake up, is thank you, Lord. And, and, and just starting to bless his name, 
Those things matter. Knowing I've been watched over as I slept, and so have you, and we have another day. Um, do you go into your day waking up in the morning like, oh boy, even on a Monday? Now, you know, things have changed for me. I didn't realize this job, I had to work every Sunday, but anyway, we woke up on a Monday morning in particular, that's one of those Monday morning blues where it's like, ah, it's Monday. I had conditioned myself not to wake up on a Monday thinking that way, especially in the field that I was in, there was no guarantee I would have a job. So it's funny because when you don't have a job on a Monday, you feel down. When you have a job and you have to go into work on a Monday, you feel down? No, it, 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 it shouldn't be um, that way. So as we think about these things, what we're going to talk about today is on priorities. The, the, the title of this morning's sermon is um, First Thing First. And when we talk about priorities, uh, we like to say in a nice way, well, these are my priorities. And they often sound pretty good. But our actions actually express our priorities. Not what we say, uh, more what we do really shows where our priorities are. Priorities is a thing that is regarding one thing more important than another. So the question um, becomes is, uh, are your priorities in line with God's priorities? Because that has a lot to do with our emotional state, how we feel, how we think. So we're going to find ourselves this morning in Mark chapter 2. We're going to read the first 12 verses, Mark chapter 2, I'll be reading out of the CSB, and just think about we want our priorities to be in line with God's priorities. So if you're there, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Again, we're in Mark chapter 2, and, and it reads this way. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic carry, carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves. And he said to them, 
Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he got up, took the mat, and went, in front of every, went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave, God, gave glory to God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Father, we thank you for this account, Lord. Help us to view this story in light your truth, and what you call priority, Lord. Help us to line up our priorities with yours, because that will bring peace and joy and comfort that will show us the way to walk and what is important. Would you do a work in each one of our hearts this morning? In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I don't have Twitter, but one of the stories uh, my wife shared with me um, on Twitter this past week was a, a situation that happened in Little League Baseball. Um, I love to watch Little League Baseball. When that time of year comes, I'm always watching these 11 and 12-year-olds, and I am amazed at how good they are and um, what happens in that game. Matter of fact, when our boys were young and they've played multiple sports and, in, and instruments, one of the most fun times we've ever had was during Little League. Well, there was this um, play where a wild pitch hit a kid in the head. And if you get hit in the head with a baseball, it's a problem. I remember uh, playing with my one son and practicing with him, and he had a really good arm. So when he threw the ball, it, it, he threw the ball. Uh, so me uh, helping him to learn the game and pitching to him through a couple of wild pitches that beamed him to the degree that when he would play baseball, even on outside pitches, he was jumping back a little bit. And we had to work through that. But this kid got hit in the head with the ball, um, and uh, he took his base. And uh, apparently, the, the pitcher was a little shaken up, and uh, the the one that got hit with the ball came and, and, and they hugged at, at the mound, and, and that's a great thing. But when we think about priorities, and if you know anything about Twitter, and again, I don't have Twitter, but my wife will read me stuff. You have all of these comments from an event. And people were saying things like, if that was my kid, I would have disowned him. We're playing baseball. You do not go and hug the opponent. And it was multiple comments just like that. And that was the nature of what people said. And then obviously when you put yourself out there and you say something like that, other people comment as well. And they're like, this is a game. 
Are you, are you crazy? Um, one of the things that I know with my kids being involved in so many activities when they were young, uh, who they become in terms of their character is much more important than whatever activity that they're involved in. So the people that were acting like my kid is going to be in the major leagues one day, um, even if that was to be true, they still should be concentrating on building the character of the individual. So that is an example of priority. Well, as we're reading this story, um, we see that um, there were multiple people in the room of this house that Jesus was in. The text says when he entered Capernaum again, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together so that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. So the question becomes, who was in the room and why? So um, one of the the uh, musicals that I like is, is um, Hamilton. And, and there's a song in Hamilton uh, that says, um, I want to be in the room where it happens. And, and there are multiple reasons why a person would want to be in a room. And we're talking about specific rooms. Why did they want to be in that room where Jesus was? Some wanted to be in that room because they were curious. They wanted to know about Jesus. Some are in a room because they want to solve a problem. Some are in a room because they want proximity to power. Others are in a room because they have an agenda to be destructive and even tear down. So the crowds, many of them were there to see a miracle. The Gospel of Mark is set up a little different than the other Gospels, and Mark just concentrated on the things that Jesus did. So even the order right from the beginning, God has come and starts showing what God did. It's not necessarily in a chronological order or in uh, all of this happened one after another. It's kind of laying out. These are the events that took place. And it was clear that often people came around Jesus because they wanted to see a show. They wanted to see what he would do. They didn't have things that we have to stimulate us. So imagine someone coming and doing things in their presence that was just unbelievable. I cannot believe that just took place. Like through technology, we see stuff. So if we saw a miracle, um, let's say outside of the context of church, we would think that was an illusion. They, they figured out a way to do that. Well, not so at this time. So there were some there to see a miracle. This is what I want to say about that. Far too many are shallow in their thinking and blind to their own needs because there was so much more 
than coming to a place to watch Jesus perform. The teachers of the law, they came to investigate the claims that were being made. Even some of them maybe had come to entrap Jesus. We're going to figure out what he does so that we can say, hey, that's the problem. Now, sometimes we are very hard on the Pharisees and the scribes, but just think about someone coming, claiming to be God, doing miracles, and, and you're the pastor, right? They <laughs> come in the midst of, of your congregation that God has given you to have spiritual leadership there, and it's like, wait a minute, what? You're going to investigate. When we even speak of the Messiah, we speak of the Messiah as God. That's not how the Jews thought of the Messiah coming. They thought a Savior coming to take them out of the situation they're in and bring them back to glory because there is one God. So they didn't view it in that way. So them coming uh, is, hey, let's find out what's going on. But it's very clear by the text, in their heart, many of them already had their mind made up. Then you had this guy coming who needed a healing. And then you had his four friends that came out of love for that friend, believing that Jesus not only could heal, but that he would heal. And they had a faith in Jesus to the degree that they didn't even allow a difficult situation to turn them around and say, hey, maybe we'll try a, another day. They also worked together. <laughs> so often people want to do things for God, but they don't want to work together. They, they want to be the captain of the ship or they want to do it their way. They worked together. And it says that they came to him bringing the paralytic carried by four of them since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. They removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. A couple of lessons we can see here. One is Jesus loves to see faith and action. There was nothing that deterred them from them getting to Jesus. But there's a bigger story here. The paralytic's biggest problem was not the fact that he could not walk. His biggest problem was his separation from God. One thing separated him from God, and that was sin. One thing separates us from God, and that is sin. This man and his friends came to Jesus to fix what they thought was the biggest problem. But Jesus actually 
address the real problem. This man's sin wasn't, he wasn't unusually sinful. No, this is the human condition. All suffering is rooted in man's separation from God. Jesus here called attention to the greatest need. Imagine, these houses were set up where, usually one room, mud, with a thatched roof, and there was, the roof would be flat, there usually was an, a, a ladder outside for you to go up on your roof, it was kind of part of your house, so when they couldn't get in the door, they carried him up that ladder and then started digging a hole through the roof and letting him down, believing this man must be healed. And Jesus, in seeing this, honored their faith, but said to the person, your sins are forgiven you. Wow. So, Verse 6 and, 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 and onward says, But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which in your hearts, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Wow. So these teachers had not even openly expressed um, their misgivings about Jesus. They, they, they had this in um, their heads. And Jesus says, why are you thinking this in your hearts? You know, Jesus doesn't only see us. He sees right through us, right? He knows every single thing about him. So what they should have caught was we didn't open our mouths. But he perceived what was going on in our hearts. To say in our hearts is even deeper to say, why are you thinking that in your head? Right? Because it goes to the head, and then it reaches the heart. So you had already determined in your heart, this guy is a blasphemer. So when Jesus says to them, which is easier? Of course, he meant the words, neither one of these two things were actually easy. Both alike are impossible for men and easy for God. But it's easier to make a statement, your sins are forgiven, because how are we going to confirm that your sins are really forgiven? But to say, get up and walk. Now you're physically seeing something take place that only God could do. So he verified 
his saying you are forgiven by physically doing something that they would say only God could do that. The key verse is 10 and 11. Jesus did not only do that so this man would be able to walk again. It tells us, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he got up, he took his mat, and he went home. That being the key verse, it's because he was showing an outward display of his power. The healing verified the claim of forgiveness. As sure as the actual healing followed Jesus' statement, get up and take your bed so the actual forgiveness resulted. Your sins are forgiven you. When we hear that, one of the things that we see is he was healed immediately. In the same way when Jesus forgives, it is immediately. They were right in saying only God can forgive sins. We're even wrong when we ask for forgiveness from someone, but we don't ask forgiveness from God because we sin against him first. We're wrong when even we say to ourselves, I have to forgive myself. No, no, no. Only God can forgive sins. The Bible tells us that um, let me back up. He did the miracle that they could see and might know that he did something that no one else could do. The response to the cure was immediately. Sin is like sickness and forgiveness is like having your health restored. One of the things that we uh, know uh, in the story with Saul on the Damascus Road, uh, Acts 26, 14 says, Saul was going along this road and he was knocked off his horse. And, and when we all fell to the ground, I heard a voice in the Hebrew dialect saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick repeatedly against the gold, meaning offering pointless resistance. Paul was doing something that he was never going to win. So often, our priorities are on what we want to do without consideration of what God has called us to do. Matter of fact, we even want God to validate what we want to do with no thought of what he is calling us to do. Paul thought he was doing the right thing. He was very zealous for God. And he had this time 
when Jesus meets him and says, what are you doing? You cannot win. You are fighting against me. So often, we have to ask ourselves, do you have God's priority in mind? Or, or, or are you operating on your own agenda? Are you hearing what God is saying? Are you aware of what God is doing? We often mistakenly impose and mix up priorities, and then we try to put them on Jesus. But Jesus' priorities don't change. Jesus always prioritizes the eternal over the temporal. That's where we get stuck. He's not concerned with these small things that bring us discomfort. Often he allows those things in our lives because he is doing something that is going to have eternal value. He is not preoccupied as we are with how you feel, these felt needs. He ministers to the bigger problem. What is it? The bigger problem is God is holy and we are not. And we must give an account for how we live. Things which matter most must never be at the mercy of things which matter least. You can come up on worship team. So often we do that. It's been said that desires dictate our priorities. Priorities shape our choices, and choices determines our actions. Isn't, isn't that true? Desires dictate our priorities. What we want is what we put first. And because we want those things first, that is what shapes our choices. And then once we have these choices, that determines our actions. And often we find ourselves in a place where we aren't pleased, we aren't satisfied, we aren't happy, because even in a story like this, all of those people walking away had different thoughts about what had taken place. Some of them were at awe of what happened, but did they walk away thinking about he just verified who he was? What is it that he was saying? See, because he came there to preach the word. Matter of fact, in the chapter, the chapter before, he had healed, he had cast out demons, and all the people were coming for him, and his disciples were like, the people were coming. He said, let's go to another town to preach the word. What God was conveying is that the kingdom of God is amongst people. He was claiming who he was. He verified it by what he did. And that man who his health was restored, if he walked away from there 
not considering the bigger blessing of being forgiven and walking in freedom and the other people there, that one guy walking away, if he didn't receive God's grace and mercy for being forgiven, he just walked away and walked into hell. That's what took place. And the other people that were there, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were all amazed. They had to consider, what is it that we just saw? Not the fact that he healed this person, but what did he say to them beforehand? Your sins are forgiven. They had already claimed only God can forgive sins. Whatever we go through, the priority is, who am I in Christ? What has he done? In our time of prayer before we came out here with the leaders, we were reading a devotion that was just talking about how God has condescended to mankind that is dust. Not only dust, we were made from the dust, but we're contaminated dust. And in that state, God of the universe has made himself one of his creation to pay a price for you and for me. He doesn't owe us that. So when we have all of these things that we go through in life and strive for and them going and going up to that roof and him being dropped down and them all walking away, one of the things that I thought about, one, was when everybody left, the person who owned the house was looking up like, what about my roof? But all of those things are temporal from that roof to that person walking with the part of, I'm in the position as God to forgive sins. What that should say to us and the priority that we should place on that knowing I am forgiven. The fixing of the roof, his legs failing him again in 30 years, it doesn't matter. What matters are the things that are eternal. And those are the things that God prioritizes. Those are the things that we should prioritize. Not only in safety and security, knowing I'm dust, I'm contaminated dust, but God has opened my eyes and I can see. He revealed himself to me. I am his child. He has called me to purposes that I am to walk in. That's the priority. And as we work through this series about all up in your feelings, we're going to talk about quite a few issues. But the first one is first things first. It's the eternal things that matter. That's God's priority. It has to be the believer's priority. It has to be the believer's priority because we face many things every single day.
But God doesn't waste anything. Nothing that we go through is just there to bring us pain. No, he is shaping us. He is molding us. He is teaching us to lean on him, to trust in him, to go to him. And he brings us through time and time again. We can no longer allow the next thing that we think is coming or that we are presently in is going to be that thing that takes us out. No. And once we come to a place where we recognize I am secure for eternity, God loves me and he has shown me through what he did. Because even when he forgave that man who needed to walk again and he said, you're forgiven, it's because he already knew what he was going to do on the cross that that person would be able to be forgiven. Just like you and I look back at the finished work of the cross to know that. And knowing that has to do a work in our thought life. It has to affect us emotionally. It has to change the way we feel about things and the way we approach things and the things that we do. We all have different dispositions. We wake up and have good days and bad days, and, and that's part of it. But when we actually look at the eternal things that God has done in our lives, there should be a constant state of joy through it all. There should be a constant state of security through it all. You should have peace through it all. He's given you the Holy Spirit as a down payment so that we would know we are not alone. He's given you his word. He's given you a family. He's given you a name. He calls you his child, his beloved, heirs a holy priesthood. Knowing that all of these things should help us. I was reading a couple of quotes and one said, guilt will burden you down without forgiveness and assurance. This is the root of many emotional problems. Something else said, when we put God faith first, all other things fall into their proper place or drop out of our lives. Our love for the Lord will govern the claim for our affection, the demands on our time, the interests we pursue in the order of our priorities. Would you stand, family, so I can pray for you? Father, we so thank you, Lord, knowing that we are dust, but not just dust, because you breathe the breath of life into us. The value that we have is because you've given it to us, the Imago Dei, made in the image and likeness of God. Thank you, Lord. And as your children, 
You came and rescued us out of a situation we couldn't be rescued from. But you did it. So whatever we are going through, whether it's circumstances that just came our way or things that we did, help us, Lord, to have a constant state of joy. Help us to read your word so our minds would be renewed, Lord. Help us to take captive every thought, Lord. Think on good things. Think on your promises. Repeat your promises, Lord. Walking with confidence, knowing that you are our Father, that you are seeing us through, and even we can have joy in the trials because you're producing something in us. We present those things to you, thanking you, Lord, because you are good. And we know that we can have a confidence that the good work that you've started in each and every one of your children, that you are bringing it to completion. You're bringing it to completion. You're bringing us through. Let us never believe, Lord, that when we get to this place or have this thing or when this problem goes away, that then we're going to have joy. Let us walk in the confidence that you are right there alongside us, that you are right there with us, that you are leading us, that you are guiding us, Lord, and you will do so until you bring us home, until the day of Christ Jesus. We thank you for that, Lord, and we are ever grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, family.